0: Hello and welcome to the Riffraff Podcast, hosted by Amy Baker and Rosie Edwards. We set up the Riffraff to champion the work of debut authors and to provide guidance and support for those dreaming of one day being published themselves. Today we're chatting to Samuel Fisher, author of The Chameleon, and one half of the wonderful Burley Fisher Bookshop in East London. We discuss traditional themes and unusual narratives, working with independent publishers, and the influence and inspiration of being around books all day every day.
1: Have you ever heard the fable of the ass and the lion's hide? An ass once found a lion's hide some hunters had left out to dry in the sun. Sensing an opportunity, the ass put on the hide and walked back to the village of his master. At his approach, all fled, both man and beast, terrified by his ferocious appearance. It was a proud day for the ass, and in his delight, he raised up his voice and brayed. In that instant, everyone knew it was him, and they were no longer scared. His master beat him around the ears and cursed him for his deception, after which the ass returned to the fields, his tale at an end. It's a simple story, and plainness has always been synonymous with truthfulness. However, it's not my favourite way of telling it. Let us suppose for a moment that the ass did not speak. Suppose the ass had simply stood and watched as the world fled before him, happy and proud to roam free in his new dominion without fear. But then, as time passed, the ass became lonely and eventually forgetful. It came to a point when the ass no longer remembered that he was wearing the hide. And when eventually the people and animals returned and the ass opened his mouth to tell him to tell them it had all been a game, he found he had forgotten how to speak. Now we have a story that goes to the heart of my problem. You see, all I've ever wanted is to be honest, but right from the very start I haven't known whether I was an ass or a lion, or whether I was one wearing the skin of the other. Truth cannot exist on its own apart. When nothing is certain, nothing can be true. It has taken 800 years for me to open my mouth. I have listened, but have been unable to make a sound. Soon enough we'll find out whether I'll bray or roar.
2: Samuel Fisher, welcome to the Riff Ruff Podcast.
1: Hello, thank you for having me on. (laughs)
2: Very welcome, it's great to see you. Um, For anyone who is yet to read your debut novel, The Chameleon, can you tell us what it's about?
1: Yes, so it's it's a book uh, about a book that can be any book narrated by that book. Um,
0: wow, was that your tagline when you pitched yeah. it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: really, it's really straightforward. I, I started with it's really straightforward and then gave that tagline, no. Um, so that's the kind of basic premise of it, but um, in the present day, its current owner, I suppose, is dying. He had to spy during the Cold War. Um, so the narrator tells this story as an access um, to telling its own story, I suppose, you know, it, 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 as a way of figuring out how to speak and to yeah and to piece together the yeah
2: i mean it sounds very meta but actually when you read it it all starts making sense
1: yeah i hope i hope that it does kind of feel human um and yeah not just kind of like a foolhardy experiment
2: (laughs) (laughs) well it made sense to me and i'm pretty dumb
0: so (laughs) no you're not don't speak about yourself like that (laughs) um so tell us more about the idea because it is a really unique idea so where when where were you where were you when the inspiration struck
1: um, well, I started writing it back when I was at university, um, and I suppose it's, it's that cliche thing of when you're thinking about what to write, they always say, write what you know. And as a 20-something person who spent a lot of time in dark, well, quite dark rooms reading books, it felt like a good place to start, really. Um, yeah, and I, it, the idea just came to me that uh, if it'd be interesting to think about what a book would be if it could be any, if if it could be any book and it had to tell its own story. So yeah, that's where it started. And I suppose the other side of it, the the story that the book is telling, aside from its own history, um, I've always liked Graham Green and those kind of mid-century Cold War novels. And I'm interested in those guilty protagonists, mm-hmm. those kind of useless men, I suppose. <laughs> um, <laughs> and in what... I was interested in them and what they kind of say now, um, what place they have. And yeah. So yeah, I suppose this is a collision of those two things.
2: And so did you start with the story or or some narratives? Because there's kind of a cup, there's sort of a dual narrative almost in, set in the present and set in the past. Yes. Did you start with that or did you start with the idea of the book?
1: Um, I suppose that they kind of came concurrently because um, I... When I was thinking about this conceit, I, I didn't want it just to be an experiment, or and I had this idea for this story of this 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 guy who was dying and you know what the legacy of what he'd done during the Cold War would mean to his family now, um and yeah, it was just I, and then I, I wrote them side by side. It wasn't it wasn't something that I kind of planned one and I didn't really plan it at all. So the mm. the plot kind of melded. Uh, as as it as it went on side by side. Because I yeah.
2: think both Amy and I had this sort of slightly romantic notion that because you do work in a bookshop, you are the Fisher of Burley and Fisher. Yep. Burley Fisher, <laughs> which is in a bookshop in East London. Yeah. Um, we sort of had this romantic idea that maybe you were sitting in your bookshop looking at all the books on the shelves and thinking, What if the books were watching me? Did working in <laughs> Your, the environment where you do, did that have any impact on...
1: Oh, definitely, yeah, yeah. I mean, it made me very paranoid. lovely. No, I mean, it, it's it's a brilliant place to be writing a book, I think, because you're constantly surrounded by them um, and also constantly talking to people about the things that they love to read. And the gra- I mean, the great thing about working in a bookshop is that whoever you talk to, the thing that you talk to them about, they're going to know more about than you. So mm-hmm. you're constantly getting... Yeah, just learning so yeah it, w- it was great in that respect it, it takes you down strange avenues that you wouldn't expect um and i suppose that it did it just because i was um even though i started writing at university i wrote most of it well almost all of it that has survived um whilst i was working in a bookshop so i think it just gives you an opportunity to look around and think well where what book what jacket would it put on next you know
0: and what times to what type of person would it, would pick up that book and what, how would that how would it adapt itself to appeal to that person and that kind of thing
1: exactly yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. i
2: love that it's so magical well do you know what it puts in mind of? you know when you go to the supermarket and you look in other people's trolleys and you kind of make no. it a decision <laughs> you've never done that not really <laughs> there's a word for it which we will Google and put in the show notes. <laughs> um, it, it kind of, you know, you walk, walk, watch a person walk into a bookshop, and then they go, "Can you can you predict what sort of genre people will go to based on looks?" Because in the book, the the book turns into different things to suit Roger to make sure that Roger's the name of your protagonist. One yes. of your the protagonists. They change covers exactly, like I said to. Um, so that he will always pick them up, or so that the right person will always pick them up. And I just, I'm so interested in what kind of people go for what books.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. I think it's. I, I suppose uh, the narrator's is kind of doing the opposite of what you would want to do as a bookseller, in the sense that you try, you try not to kind of just lead people where they would automatically go, mm. or at least to kind of, um, yeah, offer the opportunity for someone to pick up something that they might not normally pick up because that's what i guess is the great thing about bookshops but yeah i think that that game uh of um uh of the narrator trying to draw different people to its pages um roger the protagonist being the kind of main person uh, throughout the main thread of the story but it also plays a part in the other episodes of the narrator's history which um uh, play out alongside the that main strand um was just lots of fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And
0: like and it, obviously it is such a unique idea. And like and that did, do you reckon well, we'll stop talking about the bookshop in a minute, but do you <laughs> think that like working in a in a bookshop where you see people maybe go for the things that that, that you'd expect them to go for and that mm. kind of thing has made you want to come up with something that was completely unique? I know you said you started writing it before the bookshop, but like was that kind of a driving factor?
1: Definitely, yeah, yeah. I think that um we, uh, you you watch what comes what what is published as well, of course. Um, especially in the bookshop that that I work in. Uh, we sell a lot of new fiction, so I suppose it's 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 you. Yeah, it's interesting. You see how these patterns develop, um, and I suppose that yeah, and not that you're trying to avoid it because that would be stupid. <laughs> yeah, <of course. laughs> but um, yeah, kind of rubbing up against that, I suppose, rather than. Yeah, mm. than anything else, yeah. and, and being aware of it and playing with it, and yeah, yeah.
2: Because one of the things I wanted to ask is that your book, The Chameleon, is billed as a magical realist English spy novel, mm. which yeah. I don't think is a genre hybrid we've ever had before. Uh, yay! Um, <laughs> 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 what a wonderful first. Exactly. So, how much do you think it's important? to write for the mainstream of what is selling sorry I've just dropped my phone on the floor shouldn't have it in. I should have put it somewhere else <laughs> I'm going to have to dive under the. otherwise it's going to be I can get it I want it we can going this it's bit
1: out oh we should leave it in there it's yeah. Uh, capers <laughs> yeah exactly yeah.
2: <laughs> we may or may not keep that part in um it's not your mainstream type of fiction novel. How did you feel about writing something that you you know is slightly subverting a genre and is isn't quite the mainstream? Or did you think it you know from your experience have you seen in the bookshop and selling what is selling and that this is actually a genre that you know we should all be jumping on the bandwagon?
1: I think, yeah, I, I was worried about it because magical realism is is kind of unfashionable now, I suppose, um, and spy novels are as well. So it's kind of a, a collision of two quite unfashionable <laughs> things. But you know, you hope that maybe um,
0: that automatically makes them fashionable.
1: Yeah, perhaps that's it. Yeah, that's, you just need to take two things that are unfashionable and it's kind of like matter, matter and antimatter, and they explode into. But I think that you know, it's it's um, uh, you hope that every book will find its reader. I think it's sensible to think about who you're writing to, so I did. I did think that. Um, I suppose it's been, uh, in terms of genre, it's, um, it's it's been described as a magical realist spy novel, but I hope that it's just a book that for people that love thinking about books and what mm-hmm. books can be, and um, and then that's the form it's taken. But when I'm, because I think that it's it's not always necessarily helpful to think about. Where, what genre would i am I writing for, although sometimes it is it thinking about your reader definitely is important because especially if you want it to be published, yeah, I think you have to be able to convince publishers that someone is going to want to read it um and I suppose it's it's more you take it's more of a generous act if you 're writing it to someone or mm-hmm. for someone rather than it just being a kind of solipsistic thing that you do you know yeah, and yeah. then you expect someone to Put it out there for you if you yeah. haven't thought about who it might be for. Yeah, that's a, it's a very roundabout way of answering that question. <laughs> yeah, it's, a, it's a very good tip for inspiring
0: authors that to think about who they're writing to. You know, that's yeah. and and it is, and then it does make it seem generous. Rather, because it can seem like such a sort of selfish thing to try and do to write a book on it. Like, just who do I think I am? But if you're kind of writing it because you're thinking about who might like like reading it, it just makes it a mm. bit more of a an exchange, a bit definitely more an enjoyable exchange.
1: Yeah. yeah, and I think it will. It does help you get over that. That self-censor and thinking you know why why am I doing this <laughs> and if, if, if you think about it in terms of who it might be for rather than in terms of kind of trying to escape your I don't know kind of forestall accusations of narcissism which we'll constantly terrified of, then, yeah, it's probably easier.
2: I think writers all want to be narcissists, but nobody wants to be accused of being a narcissist. It's a very fine line.
0: Yeah, I think
1: that's that's probably true, yeah.
0: That is true. So um, at the heart of The Chameleon, there's some very relatable themes of family and growing older and death. Um, What was it you, about these traditional narratives of familial life that interested you?
1: Um, I suppose that... I suppose those are the stories that we all tell each other all the time and the stories that we tell about ourselves um, to other people and uh, if we think of stories as a way of trying to understand and uh, make a thread of our own history something that we can carry around and that we don't have to constantly revisit um, I was thinking about that in context of the narrator who's spent you know 800 years inhabiting other people's words and then now has to um find a way of communicating its own sense of nascent self, I suppose. Um if you and these 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 larger issues uh kind of form common ground for that for that exchange to happen. And I think that um the narrator is trying to use those larger events in Roger's life to understand what is important to the narrator itself and how that fits into I suppose The (laughs) empathetic role of books, or of people who write books,
2: and because three of your characters they're in they're uh, they're three different generations, yes, as well, Um, which is you know it's really interesting those themes of what we pass down and Mm. what changes and what stays the same sort Mm -hmm. of over history. It's sort of you know in a way eight hundred years or one generation you know that it that's those sorts of themes never really go away mm-hmm. still you know remain as important as ever
1: definitely yeah and i think that um we always we all experience them um all of our experiences are unique but they we communicate them in similar ways um so it's quite interesting to see what see those two things next to each other our own our kind of understanding that our experiences are unique but then that d- those can we can draw something universal from them, and therefore I don't empathize with one another because of that universality. I suppose
2: there are also some sex scenes yeah. in the Comedian. Yeah. No, I don't want to give too much away, so I'm not going to go into in too much detail. You'll have to buy the book. It's a notoriously tricky thing for authors to take on and to do well. May I say that you've done them very well? Oh, thank I you. thought. How did you approach
1: them? Um well, I think you kind of have a uh an advantage i suppose when uh you have a narrator whose relationship to its own body is so fraught and confused, so you have a kind of detached <laughs> i suppose view on what's happening um but I think that that's another th- one of the things that I wanted to explore one of the opportunities that I thought that existed within the conceit was to think. Well, how do you how do you understand the experience of having a body if you if you only come to know it? I don't know if you only come to try, understand it after hundreds of years and all of the other bodies that you see are nothing like yours at all. Mm. Um, so yeah, with the sex scenes, I kind of <laughs> approached it that way. Um, I mean, there are sex scenes between people as well, not just sex scenes between books, but there are also <laughs> bookish sex scenes. Which is quite a stri- <laughs> When I say it out loud, it's uh, yeah. Oh my God, it's like
0: a new genre. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <But> sex. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. That could be a subtitle for our podcast. <laughs> to begin with them fluttering their
2: pages at
1: each other. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's probably so, a bit too often. The analogy of, uh, yeah, <laughs> fluttering eyelids is, uh, yeah.
2: But it's, it's the bit I, I won't go into too much detail because I don't want to ruin it, but it's the bit where somebody has sex in or, and or on yeah. the Narrator, on top, on, on top, on of, top, the top of the on top of the narrator, it's yeah. just so wonderful. <laughs> it just works so well, and that kind of what relativism—the two things in relation to one another—one and his describing the feeling of a human when he has human don't it—it just works. I thought that worked brilliantly.
0: Thank
1: you. Um, yeah. Like
2: it's obviously a complicated
0: idea with like lots of different things going on, lots of different perspectives, and how how what. W- would you advise someone who's writing something that's such a kind of like out there idea, avant on idea, you know, mm. how would you advise them to kind of stay on track and make sure that the kind of the plot still is there and how how do you, when you've got all these kind of mad, mad hat ideas, mm. how do you keep it on track as well?
1: Um, I think that, I was thinking about this, in terms of planning, um, I kind of knew, so I can only speak about how I did it and it's the first time I've done it, so... Woo. Um yeah. Woo. <laughs> um I knew how it was going to end. So that gave you uh gave gave me uh, a the feeling that it, you're not stepping into the void. Mm. You know, you you have somewhere where you have to end up. Um but really it was a, a lot of the writing was done in the editing because I think with voice led fiction you just have to keep going at it. I mean, and I, I think that the voice of this narrator is to, is quite different to my own voice. So it takes you time to kind of figure out how that's going to work and um and then I think the, the plot, I didn't actually really worry about it too much in the early drafts. And then you realize, Oh, this character's still in Russia. And then he's to be here and you think, Oh shit. (laughs) 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 Better get him on a boat. (laughs) (laughs) And then you figure it out. And I think that then the characters will just, will will show you the way, you know, I I think if you're writing, if it's literary fiction, I suppose you you do want to let the characters have priority in, in, in that respect. Um, but yeah, I think as long as you're not in too much of a rush, and you have readers who aren't necessarily the people that you hope are going to publish it, but people who can help you to say, "This works, this does not work <laughs> um, then yeah, then you can just spend the time on it, I think yeah, yeah, yeah
2: well, talking of publishers, um the communion is published by salt who are one of our favorite independent publishers they publish a fantastic array of books including uh zan brooks's the clocks in this house will tell different times which was costa long listed i think um so there are they are a fantastic indie publisher and i think we know that because we're sort of in the industry and you know that because you're in the industry. Mm-hmm. What would you say to, to an aspiring author who is looking around, you know, got their manuscript, looking around for agents and publishers who might be a bit wary of going for an independent publisher as opposed to one of the known names?
1: I think that, um, I mean, I think that it's great going with a new publisher because you they can be much more nimble mm. um, and uh, can take r- risks as well um which salt
0: do yeah which I they mean, really do the, the books they choose are always really interesting like mm. really kind of like different ideas and just yeah sorry yeah no definitely yeah
1: yeah and yeah talking about generosity they, they they were such generous people to work with and they've been doing it for so long that they have an understanding of they they do take risks but then they also have been publishing books for ages so they can see mm. what might fit where and um yeah. It 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 was great working with them because they uh are very small so they they can do whatever they want essentially and they just uh pick, pick books that they really like. Um I think that if you if if you write something um you should really look at books that you that you enjoy and see who they who, who they're published by uh, and then think is my book like that? Um then if so then maybe go in that direction. If not then find other books that are similar to yours and then think would it be better off going down to in any publishing direction mm. um yeah
0: do you have an agent or uh
1: no i no. did for a while okay. but um yeah i don't i don't at the moment i just found a lot of the sole authors
0: tend to go directly to the publisher yeah i wonder why that is
1: i think the um smaller publishers do tend to they prefer to work with authors don't have agents mm. um because uh, just because they can work with them directly then uh, it makes things simpler yeah Um, yeah. so I mean that that might be that's probably the case with a lot of independent publishers you'll find that they'll try and find authors who don't have agents or yeah But it's not always the case. It's certainly, there's no bar to if you have an agent to going with an independent publisher.
0: It's, it's nice, yeah. though, isn't it? That there's like that there is kind of an, an option. Like that it's, it's not all about. You don't have to get an agent. It's not. It's like there are things out there for everyone that's trying to get stuff published. Basically, like no matter how wacky your idea, like there are people that are interested in reading it if it's interesting enough and good enough. You know,
1: definitely, so, yeah. And I think increasingly so. There, there are so many in the interesting independent publishers. Um, yeah, it's growing all the time. There's or the Northern Fiction Alliance, mm-hmm. so you, you, all of those publishers, Blue Moose and um, Dead Ink, and all of those guys are publishing really interesting books. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, and uh, so enthusiastic and in love with the things that they publish, um, which is just, as a bookseller as well, it's really nice to see. Um, and you get a sense that another thing with smaller publishers is that they spend more time with their books. So it's not kind of like a... it's. Uh, getting it ready, published, a bit of publicity and then it's gone and then mm. it's less on to the next one yeah. it feels, from from a, this is speaking more from a bookseller's perspective I suppose um, yeah
2: and so you mentioned that you'd started writing The Chameleon at university mm-hmm. how long did you, would you say it took you to write in total?
1: Uh, so I suppose about two years working on, when I was working on it intensely um, and then uh, I got an agent, we worked on it for a bit um And then we did send out some large publishers, and it came back uh and then i and I, it it wasn't ready when it went out the first time, and I worked on it a lot more on my own um so I, the period was kind of like four years in total, I suppose, but two years of writing intensely.
0: yeah how like, if you don't mind me asking like how was that experience of um of like finding an agent and it going like that and then taking the decision to not be with the agent anymore, or was it? How, how was that?
1: I mean, yeah, it's, it's tough, you yeah. know. It's I think that it's um, <coughs> it was it, it, it was quite a it was a longer path maybe than for some people to getting published. Mm. Um, but working in books, you, you see what happens to other people. So it kind of I suppose I was very fortunate to have uh, to have seen a, a, a range of experience, uh, which was reassuring, I suppose. Mm. Um, yeah, I think that I'm. Yeah, I'm really happy to that yeah. to, 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 I've ended up with Salt. I had a really great experience with them, so I think that. Um, yeah.
0: It was how it was. It was how it was meant to happen. Yeah. Which exactly. Which is a really, really nice way of thinking about it. And yeah. like one thing we've noticed from doing the riffraff is, you know, everyone has a different journey to publication, and
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know, like, one of the things that's so lovely about meeting debut authors is like. How determined people are, and how long people will mm. just continue relentlessly trying until they find their way in,
1: mm-hmm. whichever way
0: that may be. So it's, yeah. it's nice that it's becoming more inclusive, and there's, you know, like it's, it's exciting, and I, I really just I really admire the like tenacity of debuts. Like it's the, you know, it's really inspiring. <laughs> like you know I like gumption, it. yeah, exactly. <laughs> Good use of gumption.
2: And do you have any specific writing routines? Are you a uh... Five hundred words first thing in the morning, kind of guy, or I stay up all night, or I write six words on the bus every Tuesday, or
1: um, I just yeah, mornings are better for me. Um,
2: Everyone says that. Mm. I don't think we've ever spoken to somebody who says evenings are better. I think Unless every- it's really late
1: in the evening. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, I do write then sometimes, but it's just it's mostly when I have time, really. Mm-hmm. Um, I find uh, the evenings are good for editing because, I, but I think I think I think you're you're relaxed in the evening. Uh, and you can see things clearly but in terms of actually trying to create something um, mornings yeah when you've had two cups of coffee rather than a glass yes. of wine <laughs> yeah, before the rest of the
0: world's woken up i think it's quite nice like before you mm. feel like you've got a, like a duty to kind of check your email and that kind of stuff exactly yeah yeah
1: you have you have a, a greater period of focus concentration it's more unbroken.
0: Wine is lovely and
2: uh, my new favorite obsession is the length of books yeah um i've become interested in it recently mm-hmm. um because your book is not very long no it's, it's just not. over 200 ish pages mmm was that a conscious decision to keep it short? Was that an editing decision? Did you go into it thinking I want to write a slimmer volume, or was it just that that's how many words the story needed? A, B, C, or D, or
1: E? <laughs> none of the above. Uh, I think it's a mix. Um, I do. I did intend it for for it to be a short book um, because I thought that uh, I think voice led fiction. Shouldn't it's better when it's not too long? Yeah, yeah. Because especially if it's first person voice led fiction, you it, it can become quite claustrophobic. Mm. <laughs> if you ha- if you're four <laughs> hundred pages in the same person's head, um, I mean that was just kind of my reader experience. Yeah, um, yeah I, I think that 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 was that was really what decided it. Um, yeah.
0: Did the edits end up making it shorter or longer? Or was it anything?
1: Uh, I think probably longer, actually. <laughs> Yeah, it's often the way. Yeah, people want more. Yeah, or just <laughs> or just fixing those plot things, sort of yeah, those yeah. holes that you <laughs> don't realise are there.
0: I'm quite interested. So, um, <clears throat> obviously, you've got like kind of like quite an, an unusual narrator, mm-hmm. and so what? Um, t- how, how did you go about developing that character? Did you do it in the same way that you would like a normal human character, or
1: I suppose in opposition to the protagonist? Um, yeah. So when I was when I, when I was talking about how uh, the narrator was using Roger's story and the kind of uh the shape of it to figure out its own story yeah that that really was how i wrote it as well um yeah uh, cuz i think trying to t- develop um an empathetic narrator that isn't a human you have to have some human to rub up against mm-hmm. um
2: Quite literally, yeah. as we've mentioned. <laughs> yeah, Or a book. Whichever, yeah, whichever or, a, yeah. Um, <laughs> or both. Or both.
1: Yeah, that would be a party. Um, the next yeah. Ruff party, in fact. <laughs> yeah. Oh,
2: come on. <laughs> yes. Uh, so, uh,
0: one thing... Oh, really Sorry, i just keep on butting in with questions. One thing... Um, obviously... Like with the riffraff, the influence of kind of meeting other authors has been huge for Rosie and I. Like, mm. know, just to the, how inspirational it is, and you know, and how lovely it feels to meet people that you know, like have the same thoughts and feelings and worries and rah rah. Mm. And I just wondered whether um, how you find how how you found the influence of being around writers and book lovers. Like, it must obviously you love books if you do it as both your sort of both things yeah yeah like do, tell us a bit about your experiences of that has that been a huge inspiration for you
1: yeah definitely it's kind of it's, it's hugely comforting really um because I think that uh, the reason I went into book selling and not just publishing is because I'm quite social as well I like being around people so I think that book selling means that you get to you get to do that and we do a lot of events mm-hmm. so you get to hear authors reading their work and talking about how it came about um we probably do two a week or something um yeah and 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 you you kind of we meet a lot of debuts and you see them kind of confronting the the, some of the difficult aspects of that as well which I think is very helpful when you come to do it yourself uh and perhaps slightly anxiety provoking as well um but but it does feel that you're you're bringing the book into a I suppose a yeah, into a community which is quite supportive because I think it is oh, generally mm. yeah
2: talking of which you will be appearing at the Riffraff Writers Community on Thursday the 10th of May alongside Anne Patterson Kate Lever yeah. Guy Ganaratni and Zelda and Riendo and <laughs> also our first birthday woo <laughs> woo <laughs> which we are very excited about, so there will be some surprises in store. So head to our website, the-riffraff.com, to find tickets. You can also follow us on our Twitter, at riffraff <laughs> underscore LDN, and that's the same for our Instagram. Sam, can you tell us what you're working on next? I understand that there is another book in the offing.
1: Yeah, um, yeah. I've been working on another book, which is uh, quite different to this, um, I suppose it took me a while to, because it's such a <coughs> defined voice, it took me a while to write myself out of it, so I spent a lot of time writing short stories, but now I'm working on a, on a novel which is, I think we're living in a kind of very um, historical moment, historic moment, I suppose. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I grew up in Essex, uh, and I now live in Hackney, and they're two very different mm. <laughs> places, um, and I'm quite interested uh, what that means within the wider context of what's happening okay. so yeah I'm kind of working on a book that's about that so yeah it's quite different to this I suppose but it deals with some of the same issues with identity and memory and how you tell a story and yeah.
0: Um. In addition to the book have you got anything else exciting coming up?
1: Uh, yeah, so um, along with a couple of others that I work with at the shop, we've just started a, pr- a small press, uh, which so. we did a crowdfunding for at the end of last year, and we've got five books coming out this year. Oh my God,
0: that's so exciting. Five books? Yes, okay. which is, yeah,
1: very exciting. Uh, and the first one we sent off to print last week and comes out in May. So four of the books are pocket essays, okay. so kind of mid-length books uh, that explore and interrogate the modern world, I suppose. The first one's called Mixed Race Superman, um, and who's that by? Uh, it's by a poet called Will Harris. Uh, uh and it's about uh Barack Obama, Keanu Reeves, uh <laughs> and how in their very different ways they've made a heroic identity out of their mixedness. Uh so it kind of it's a personal essay looking at his own experience growing up in North London as a mixed race boy and then compares that to these two larger wow. figures as mixed race supermen so that's the first one and then we have one with olivia sujic later oh, in nice. the year um she was on the riffraff yes yeah <laughs> no yeah um uh yeah whose novel sympathy came out last year and that's about um it's called exposure and it's about auto fiction internet feminism uh and the anxiety epidemic and Oh, wow. uh, interesting yeah yeah, it's gonna be really, really good. Um and then the other two are um one by Deborah Smith, as translator. She's translated um a book called The Vegetarian which won the yeah. international book two years ago. Yeah. And she just got shortlisted for Hang Kang's new book. Um so that's it's called um Fidelity and it's about uh it's about the art of translation and kind of the responsibilities of uh of the translator. Well, what interesting topics. Yeah.
0: I can't wait to read all of those. (laughs) Um, And and what's the name of the publisher? So it's called Peninsula Press. Okay. Sweet. And are you accepting submissions? Uh,
1: We will be, once (laughs) our website is ready. that's (laughs) so exciting. Congratulations. That's awesome. That sounds
0: so interesting. It does sound good. I I think that if we we can't possibly have a bookseller here and not ask you what you think is the future of books, sorry. Uh, (laughs) I mean,
1: obviously it's definitely physical books. Uh, millions, really, yeah <laughs> well, or just <laughs> yeah, sure. just 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 not you know I've, I've really thrown physical all of my books. eggs into the physical books basket being cool. a bookseller, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> not ebooks um I think that yeah it seems to be po- quite positive at the moment uh publishers are getting much better at uh bringing people into bookshops and also making books as objects that people want to hold and mm. w- want to own um which I think is is, is is really it's really great, and I think the the novels as healthy as it ever was, really, despite Will Self writing a new article every six months <laughs> to say that it's died. Um, <laughs> Shut up, Will. <laughs> <Nobody laughs> Maybe um, should buy his physical books though, eh? Oh, well, you can certainly get them at Burley Fisher Books. <laughs> <laughs> nice, <laughs> um, yeah. Cool. Um, so positive. Yeah. yeah, very positive.
2: I uh, think. Well,
1: that's a lovely note to end on. I think. Yeah. yeah, thank you so much, Sam. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. See you all the event. <laughs>
0: Class is hosted by co founders Amy Baker and Rosie Edwards. Come say hey at the-riffcraft.com.